0: Time now for Connecting the Diocese. Connecting the Diocese is a production of the Diocese of La Crosse. Here's host, Jack Sosha. Thank you so much for tuning in, Connecting the Diocese. Chris Ruff is coming up from ministries and social concerns with a lot of stuff on his plate these past few months. And speaking of social concerns, that reminds me of social media, which then reminds me of a very brief humorous bit I saw on a newspaper column. The person was saying, for those of you who don't really get facebook don't understand what it's all about you really don't have to be on facebook or use facebook to have the facebook experience he says for example now i'm a slightly older person i don't use facebook but i walk down the street and every time i see someone i say i like you and i give them a thumbs up and then i show them pictures of my pets and and then i tell them what i'm going to be doing this weekend cleaning out my garage you know i've already got Five followers. Yeah, two policemen, two detectives, and a psychiatrist. We shall be back with Chris Ruff in just a minute. Let me switch over from being very silly to being really, really serious right now. We all have been aware of all of the events going on in Turkey and Syria. The absolutely horrendous earthquakes and aftershocks and thousands and thousands of people dead, more displaced, acres and acres of rubble. The Pope has, of course, chimed in asking for prayers for these people, and I hope that you are doing so. And more than 45 different agencies and different governments are rushing people there with special expertise to try to help people get out of the rubble and deal with things like no water and no electricity and babies being born in the rubble and all kinds of unimaginable things going on. And like you, I've seen these heart-rending photos of people sitting in the rubble with their heads in their hands crying and fathers carrying dead children out from what used to be their homes. It makes you want to just cry out and go reach for your checkbook or your credit card and just say, how can I help? Now, do one thing before you reach out and do your charitable giving that I know many of you want to do. Every time something of this magnitude, and even smaller magnitude, happens, there are some people who'd say, you know, this is a great chance for me to make a lot of money. And basically, they set up a fake charity. They have an appeal that rushes out to you. It could be a phone call. It could be an email. You might even get something in the regular mail saying, you can help the people of Turkey and Syria by giving us this money right now. Call us at this toll-free number. Give us your credit card, and uh, your help will be going right to the people who need it, except it doesn't really go to help anyone. In some cases, it goes to overinflated executive salaries and uh, so-called costs of doing business. Or in other cases, the whole thing is a fraud and none of the money ends up where it is supposed to be. My advice is to stick with charities you've heard of. If you've never heard of them, look them up and find out who they are asking you for money. This way, the needed help will get where it is supposed to be. Well, joining us for the first time in a while, Chris Ruff. Chris, you are from the Diocese of La Crosse. You have a dual duty title. Would you mind telling us what that is?
1: Yes. Hi, Jack. I'm director of the office for ministries and social concerns.
0: Ministries and social concerns, two things that, uh, that go hand in hand. And I don't know which of these two has kept you more occupied these past few months. You have been Everywhere. Yeah, both and, uh,
1: really, both really. And they yeah, are, they are yeah. diverse, but they're both really richly rewarding and, and uh, I would say, if I may say so, uh, important areas.
0: Oh, important, unbelievably important. Yes. Uh, this is a, uh, these jobs that we all have, uh, especially the ones that you folks have at the Diocesan Center impact real people, real time with real lives, uh, not just in the States but as far away as Ukraine. We uh, have a young lady in our diocese who is from Ukraine. Her name is Valentina, who originally contacted you at the diocese a long time ago on a, a special mission that touched her heart. And that thing has evolved into something much broader than anybody could have, could have thought of. Can you explain who Valentina sure, is?
1: Sure, sure. Well, uh, Valentina Pavzikova, was born in ukraine and she moved to the u.s it's kind of a long and remarkable story you can read about it um at our website actually diolc.org chalice of mercy and hyphens between chalice of and mercy. Anyway, her story, we did some interviews and they're on there and some other articles and things because it's a remarkable story. But she moved, uh, she got a green card actually out of a lottery and came to the US from Ukraine at the age of 18. She founded uh, this, well, she had quite a powerful conversion uh, to the Catholic faith, which uh, again, is part of that remarkable story. But then she felt a call to be a missionary, and after she considered maybe uh, going off to Ethiopia with the Peace Corps or something like that, suddenly God spoke to her in her heart, saying, you know, what about your own people in Ukraine? And so in 2007, she founded an organization called Chalice of Mercy, and it started out Um, as a a kind of medical mission because she felt like she needed to preach the gospel through her deeds so that uh, people... It would give credibility. You don't just speak with words. You have to speak with deeds. So there was a great need in Ukraine. Uh, There was a lot of dilapidated uh, uh, hospitals and, and old rundown equipment and she was able to start gathering uh, equipment from, donated medical supplies and equipment from the US and send them over to Ukraine, for which they were very, very grateful. She also brought Ukrainian doctors, primarily uh, OBGYNs, she brought uh, on pilgrimage to Medjugorje. People may be familiar with Medjugorje, it's a site where uh, it's uh, that Our Lady is said to have appeared uh, gosh, it's many, many years ago now. I can't give you an exact date, but it's, a, it's quite, a, quite a site of pilgrimage. And she would bring these OBGYNs, most of whom were practicing abortion, because it was a way to, uh, uh, they, they, really, doctors in Ukraine make very little, and they made extra money performing abortions. It's sad to say, but in post-Soviet uh, uh, countries, uh, this was had become kind of a, a normal thing. Uh, sadly. But when they would go on pilgrimage, their hearts were touched, and, and through conferences and prayer and whatnot, uh, many, many converted and, and uh, stopped doing abortions. She's brought over 1,500. That, that's that's just mind-boggling. Over 1,500 doctors, again, mostly OBGYNs, on this pilgrimage. Oh, and then there were medical missions that she started to carry out. Uh, but I could go on and on. Let's go right to more recent history, where when uh, Russia really was, was starting an invasion into Ukraine in 2014, um, already take, taking bites, uh, you know, taking Crimea, but also taking bites out of the southeastern part of, of Ukraine and causing all kinds of problems. Um, but then there was a full bore invasion that occurred uh, in February of 2022. So just about a year ago. And everybody knows about that. And suddenly Valentina uh, understood that she had to really do everything she could to help her homeland. And so she started collecting medical supplies and other humanitarian supplies. And we at the diocese have done a number of drives. Uh, over the past months uh, to to bring together warm clothing and and all kinds of other uh, medicines and various things. But she was even able to get donations from the Mayo clinics and so forth. She has been able to ship over three and a half million dollars worth of donated medical equipment and supplies, some of it very uh, sophisticated, to Ukraine. And she can get it from uh, from Wisconsin into Zaporozhia, Ukraine, in the space of ten days. Uh, she's developed a network of partners and volunteers. Since it's her homeland, she knows a lot of people there as well. Uh, long story short, she is her her logistics is second to none, and she is is providing these medical supplies, but also. Uh, m- much else in the way of humanitarian supplies, and we had a Christmas drive, and we were able to get toys and boots and jackets and all kinds of things too, uh, uh, donated by parishes around the diocese. Bishop Callahan has been a tremendous supporter of the work of Valentina, which really is rooted in Christ and the Gospel. So in 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 uh, in grace and the sacraments, she's she's devotedly Catholic, uh, but again wanting to show preach the gospel not just in 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 the heart and in in words but in these amazing deeds that she's able to accomplish
0: it really is something that uh Number one, you think of these events, had she not won this lottery to get here, uh, much of this probably wouldn't have happened. But also because she had all this experience prior to the, the, the big part of the war happening a year ago, she knew the truck routes. she knew the truck company, she knew who she could trust, she knew who she could deal with. And all this fell into place. And if you look at the list of some of the things that were needed yes uh, high-end medical equipment all kinds of things but also a tremendous number of things like tourniquets mm-hmm. just simple simple things that, right. that are needed on a battlefield uh, it is uh, you get a real uh, better understanding as to what's going on over there when you just see what they're asking for right and the fact that mayo clinic and others have trusted her with literally millions of dollars of equipment because no one else knew the territory
1: well, absolutely no one else around here. That you're absolutely right, and and she had a sense that God was kind of now, in hindsight, that God was preparing her for this moment to arrive, and like you say, laying all the groundwork. And I think to meet her is to realize um, you've met someone really quite extraordinary. Um, you know, I. I'm a little sheepish to say, but I I would almost compare her to a Mother Teresa type of figure. And uh, it's just, there's just, she radiates a a goodness and and a devotion that is just evident when you meet her. So I'm not surprised that even people at the Mayo Clinic uh, just kind of thought, wow, okay, we're going to do this because this is something really special. Um, she
0: also, uh, because she had connections that were family and things like that, uh, we've had recent news stories about things that always happen in countries during war, the, the signs of corruption by officials and things like that. And when you're dealing with someone who's going to her family, her uncles, her cousins or whatever, uh, you have a much uh, stronger feeling that uh, what you are giving is going to arrive. You know? And yeah. that's an important thing to keep in mind. It's, this is a real grassroots Thing. This is not going through a governmental agency um, with you know paperwork up here, there, and everywhere. Right. Oh, I'm sure there is some of that, but there's a, there's a certain simplicity and directness to it oh, I, uh, which gives you a real sense of confidence uh,
1: absolutely i would put her up against any ngo that that's in existence um her capacity to get things right to the to the front lines of the war itself and to the to those communities that have been devastated by all these missile attacks these ruthless missile attacks that try to destroy the infrastructure and even the electrical grid so that people don't have heat in their homes it's really been um quite uh, despicable, what's going on. But uh, these attacks uh, from, from Russia on Ukraine. But um, she, being Ukrainian born, she just, her heart is, is just completely locked in on, on these people that are her people. So uh, she knows them, as you say, she knows how to get things done. And she has this really deep heart for it all, for obvious reasons.
0: Now, you were there at the Christmas Drive, I believe it was up in what, Chippewa Falls, if I'm not mistaken?
1: Well, they have a, uh, Valentina hosts an annual Ukrainian Christmas dinner with about 12 courses i don't might even be 14 courses of delicious (laughs) ukrainian food and the young people come and serve and they're dressed in ukrainian garb and it's just extraordinary and uh, this year it was just packed as you might imagine it's really on people's minds and hearts but uh, she also had some guests she's partnered with an organization called protez p-r-o-t-e-z not exactly even sure what that means, but um, anyway, the, the, the important thing is that they provide prosthesis for, uh, for, for soldiers and others who have lost limbs because of these, these attacks. You know, people have lost legs, um, lost arms, uh, etc. And this protest organization, Easy, and you can find it online. Um, she's partnered with them because uh, these are these are people that are victims of war. They're often heroes, and they deserve all of the love and all of the help that they can get. So they were guests at the dinner, and uh, she introduced them. They didn't speak English, but it was quite extraordinary to see them and meet them. And everybody's hearts went out to them. It was beautiful. Yeah. And also,
0: were you not at one of the places where the pallets of things were getting organized and uh, and shipped out right, and things like that? Right. What was that like? It was kind of like you're mobilizing, which in yeah. fact you really were. For uh, it must have been pretty exciting and full of full of energy.
1: Yeah, and I was. I've been involved both. Uh, well, first of all, in the administrative part of it, and that is sort of. Uh, creating the network uh, in the diocese, mobilizing a network of parishes uh, to co- to collect uh, donated items. And then hub sites, the sort of primary sites where we would have a couple of trucks, and I ended up driving one this past uh, December, a uh, couple of, of large trucks uh, picking up from the hub sites and then taking them to a warehouse in Chippewa Falls, which has been uh, donated Um, this was, uh, you know, kind of a a nice story too. We have, we have a diocesan social ministries committee which has representatives from every deanery, and at one point um, Valentina had said, I really need some warehouse space in Chippewa Falls. Can anybody steer me to something? Uh, And so one of the men, uh, Matt Amundsen, who's the representative of the of the chippewa falls deanery he did a little poking around and he found an organization and for the life of me i can't think it's a farm cooperative or something um that said yeah we have some warehouse space that she can use so it's just it's the efforts of many people contributing in ways that they can but anyway i drove a a 17-foot u-haul truck uh, through somewhat icy conditions, I won't paint myself I, was going to I won't say say paint it. myself as a hero, but I'm not exactly the <laughs> truck driving type, right? But it was, uh, it was, it, but it was beautiful to get there and, and see these pallets unloaded and see all these toys for children and soccer balls and things and the warm jackets. and just thinking uh, of how these were going to get to people who are freezing cold and, and whose joy had been drained out of them, and maybe it could bring them some warmth and some joy.
0: Yeah, when some Russian missile or drone hits your apartment complex, uh, you know you're lucky to get out uh, with your life and all the contents inside are they can be blown up they can be burned up they can be everything or the building could have collapsed enough that you can't go in and get something because it isn't safe and so your idea that warm coats shoes socks uh, what what other kind of things were donated uh, can you think of anything else that you well were yeah when you yeah saw
1: I mean uh, a lot of scarves and and warm hats and as you say gloves and boots and jackets and um uh, Land's End actually uh, donated. Uh, I think it was about 160 uh, winter items, like uh, like really nice coats, everything brand new. It was a very generous thing on their part. Um, and then uh, over-the-counter medicines, a lot of um, uh, you know, a lot of you know, just pain relievers and uh, cold medicine and different things that would be needed. Um, then. Uh, there were we, we put out the word that they could use uh, splints and walkers and and wheelchairs and that sort of thing, and those wouldn't have to be brand new. Everything else we asked to be brand new just because when you're shipping things, even though she gets a discounted rate through a partner uh, air freight company, uh, it's expensive to, to, to ship things by air, but it's just not possible to do it by sea, it just takes forever. So she does it by air. And uh, so that's why we ask for things to be new. But, um, but anyway, uh, I was just saying that, uh, so we had wheelchairs that, that people no longer needed, we had walkers, we had different kinds of splints. Um, again, we had toys, we had stuffed animals, we had uh, soccer balls, we had baby diapers and formula and baby uh, wipes and, and just uh, toothbrushes, uh, a lot of toiletry type things. Um, You know, the kind of stuff you'd think you'd want to be uh, dispensing at a warming center, let's say. Catholic Charities uh, had some things left from their Afghan, uh, from their efforts to help Afghan refugees, like a lot of the soccer balls came from Catholic Charities and a lot of other donated items. So it was beautiful to see Uh, Catholic Charities dive into this as well and and donate. So again, a lot of the things you might give out for warming centers and such, I mean, they're battling cold and, 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 uh, and medical conditions and things, so it's a lot of the same kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and a lot of little things, like you say, toothbrushes, toothpaste, mm-hmm. things that you just go into your cupboard and get, mm-hmm. they can't. Right. Because the, the 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 pharmacies or whatever that would be selling they may not have any stock. They may be blown up for all we know. That's the trouble. You just can't tell.
1: Right, right. And there are a lot of photos on Chalice of Mercy's Facebook page. I would encourage people to go there. Uh, there are a lot of uh, photos of, of people receiving the aid, um, and it's... Uh, It's just beautiful to see the smiles on their faces and sometimes the tears. Uh, These things are so precious to them. And again, they're second nature to us, but they're precious to them. By the way, I should mention, and I should have actually earlier, but Valentino was the cover story on the December issue of Catholic Life magazine. And uh, people all across the Diocese of La Crosse get that magazine. And if you haven't read it already, you should read it. It's a beautiful story with a lot of uh, wonderful photos. Uh, profiling Valentina and the work of Chalice of Mercy.
0: There's also some videos that you shot earlier on when she was first here, um, uh, from you know a couple, several years ago now, when right. no one would have expected in their wildest dreams that she would be doing what she is doing today, and so it's really neat to see these pictures of this you know young lady who was several years younger and you know just kind of like starry-eyed and getting things going and now she still is very starry-eyed and still relatively young but she also has a certain uh, determination about her that uh it came along with it with the job apparently yeah we it's, had it's
1: very we had those videos back, we made those, that interview, it was a long interview back in 2012, probably about an hour in length, and uh, you were very helpful in that, Jack, as I recall, and we uh, we edited those and broke them into about six or seven minute segments, and they're still on the website at uh, diolc.org slash chaliceofmercy with hyphens, <laughs> they're still there. Well, this is something that, uh, you know, our, our archives should be hanging
0: on to, because mm-hmm. This is number one, it's important right now in the here and now for the people involved, but for people in future generations, uh, maybe 50 years from now, 100 years from now, uh, even just 20 years from now, and hopefully this will be settled, uh, can look back and see what the good people in our area did. They pitched in. Mm-hmm. and, uh, to, to, and we're, We've always talked about how generous people in the not only the La Crosse area, but the general diocese are. I mean, i told stories so many times about uh, blood drives that they thought were going to not work out well because there was a winter storm for some little girl. And in the middle of a winter storm, when it was really bad, so many people would show up that they have to go back and get more collection kits from the hospital. This is the kind of thing that when I explain to people where I live and who I work with, and what I do, and what you guys do. These are the things I tell them about.
1: Yeah, well, and I was blown away. Um, some of the smaller uh, parishes, like uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta Parish in West Salem, small parish, they just blew me away. There's a deacon at the St. Teresa of Calcutta Parish in West Salem, who was all over this uh, from the earliest points of our drives for Ukraine. And unbelievable amounts of stuff was donated by that little parish. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, it, it is very moving to see the generosity of people. And by the way, a lot of, of money was also donated. Uh, it's very expensive, I said, to do this shipping. Uh, but uh, $1.5 million in financial donations has been received so far by Chalice of Mercy. And uh, that sounds like a lot, but I mean, it, it, I mean it's extremely costly to, to do all the shipping, so more is always needed, and, uh, and every penny of it goes towards this effort. And you can uh, donate at chaliceofmercy.org uh, slash donate.
0: Yeah, and again, uh, you're not paying for a uh, very fat CEO salary. Uh, not <laughs> yeah. at all. In <laughs> fact, not even close. <laughs> no,
1: no, uh, it's hard to get Valentina to to even sit down and eat anything. I mean, she yeah. she just uh, she just scrapes by uh, because it's uh, for her. It's it's totally about the mission.
0: Yeah, it's just remarkable. It is so heartening to hear this go on. Uh, You know, there's the old uh, military thing about when the goings get tough, the tough get going. We have people who are really tough, but they've also got really good hearts in our area. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, just, again, as Chris was saying, at any time, just go to diolc.org. There will be updates as to what's going on. You can see pictures, videos, hear more stories about it. Uh, This is history in the making, and we are... We have managed to become, in our own small way, part of it, uh, due to the fact that this young lady won a lottery to get a, a green card, <laughs> and now, mm-hmm. and now look what's going on. And uh, again, in your in your position, you have worked in all kinds of things, uh, uh, you know, regarding uh, religious freedom and all kinds of things over these years. Did you ever think you would be involved in all this kind of thing?
1: No, in, in this. And yeah. let me. I, that was a very quick. No, but because. Um, I'd heard about Valentina, I'd heard her name mentioned for a couple of years before I actually met her. And then she came, and I think I've told this story before, but she came to a uh, Respect Life meeting. I had a, a Respect Life committee meeting for the diocese, and one of the committee members knew Valentina and brought her with them. And she came into the room, and she sat down, and she had a big smile and everything, and it was rather striking right from the beginning. But I thought, okay. Um, and and we went through our meeting. We had an agenda. At the end of the meeting, I said, so Valentina, can, why don't you tell us a little bit about your kind of your story and and from... Well, about an hour later, we picked our jaws up off the table because it was just unbelievable to hear that story. And that was when I thought, okay, all right, this is a big deal. I've got to interview this lady. We've got to get this. We've got to get tracking on this because this is something extraordinary. Um, mm-hmm. And ever since then, it's just been proven more and more to be exactly that. And again, Bishop Callahan and and the Diocese of La Crosse has been a tremendous uh, support to this mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But again, uh, 10 years ago, someone said, Chris Ruff, uh, I want to tell you that in December of 2022, you're going to be driving a 17-foot truck full of aid to Ukraine over icy roads. You would have said, uh, what, "What are you smoking?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Possibly you, you so. Never, <laughs> yeah, you just never could tell where God is going to put you into yeah. action. I feel yeah. privileged.
1: I feel privileged. Well, this thing. is a yeah. chapter in my in my life that, that that you know is a is a is a milestone. Um, I again, yeah, I would not have ever foreseen this, but I thank God for it uh, because it's been a great great blessing.
0: Yeah, and look at these folks at Catholic Charities who got basically called up by the government saying, "Can you help these refugees coming from Afghanistan?" Oh, that's you know. a
1: whole other story that they t- oh, that, that they I'm sure they've told, and if they haven't, they need yeah. to on your show. Yeah, because yeah. our Catholic Charities is is extraordinary, and uh, I'm on the board for Catholic Charities, and I'm quite aware of the wonderful work that they do and try to collaborate in every way I can, and it's exceptional.
0: Yeah, we have them on fairly frequently because as the seasons change, so, do their roles change? I mean, pretty soon we're going to start worrying about the April 15th power cutoffs. You know, there's always a challenge ahead of them, and there'll be more challenges going on with Ukraine. We have absolutely no idea how long this is going to go on, or if suddenly one day uh, Putin is going to suddenly wake up, perhaps not being around, and things will stop, and then I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, what what can Russia do to say to Ukraine, "Gee, this was a really stupid idea." You know, I don't know what they're going to do. But again, that's not my department. But yeah. at the time, for the, we just help the folks who are in the way right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so hard to predict uh, just what the future holds. But I think uh, Valentina's attitude is, I I don't I don't need to know the future. I need to act now.
0: Yeah, that's a very good way of thinking about it. Very good. Chris, this is a good story so far. Uh, This is one piece of what's been happening with you over the past several months. What else have you got on your plate right now?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that's really been big in the last year was, of course, uh, this was back now in June, when the Supreme Court uh, overturned Roe v. Wade. So uh, suddenly, you know, something we'd worked for for 50 years happened. And that made this January 22nd, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, a time, an anniversary, typically it had been an anniversary of great mourning. And in some ways it still is, because so many have died. Um, Over 64 million unborn babies have been killed. Um, But now it's it's a time, January 22nd was, more and if you saw any of the scenes from the March for Life, we didn't have buses going this year. That didn't that didn't work out for our diocese. I think next year is a strong chance we will. But, um, but uh, seeing scenes from the march, um, it was jubilation that that Roe v Wade had been overturned. But so much work yet to do, and that was the mantra. There's so much left to do. As long as uh, there are states now that are doubling down on abortion as a, a reproductive health and it's it's sick and it's sad um, but there you have it and so th- there's much work to be done. Um, one of the things that we've been real cognizant of is of course in Wisconsin abortion because of the overturning Roe v. Wade in a previous statute abortion is illegal except to save the life of the mother. So. Um, that's a, I'm, 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 we're fortunate as a state to be in that position, um, but what it means too is that there are women who maybe are in crisis pregnancies who, who really need us to reach out to them. And so one of the concerted efforts we made in in the last, well, eight, eight nine months was to be sure and, um, you know, to, uh, to gather uh, the whole list of pregnancy resource centers around our diocese to find out what each of them is doing, uh, where they are on the map, um, how to contact them. Um, and so we've got on our website a fairly rich, uh, uh, it's an interactive map and it's a list and it's about 15 uh, pro-life uh, pregnancy resource centers around the diocese. Um, and. Uh, and, and we hope that there's no woman in need who won't find, through the Pregnancy Resource Centers, uh, the help that she needs uh, so that she doesn't have to panic and, and worry how she's going to manage to have this child. And then we have Catholic Charities working with us. And again, kudos to Catholic Charities. They've agreed, and we've publicized this now in parish bulletins around the diocese, to be, uh, to be the, the clearinghouse, if you will, for calls that would come in for women in need of help in, the, in crisis pregnancies, et cetera. So we are featuring their phone number, and either they will help uh, the woman who's calling directly, because they have capacity to do that in many cases, or they will refer her to one of the Pregnancy Resource Centers on our list. So we're very grateful again to Catholic Charities for being that, that clearinghouse. The other thing that we've uh, done is we're, we're recognizing that with the Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, there may be many more women who um, wonder now if they've had an abortion. Hmm. The, is, was that really wrong? And, and they may be feeling a kind of remorse that, that's been kind of dormant for many years or for however long. And they, they, need, they feel a need to be healed, to be forgiven, uh, to move forward. Um, and this may not be just women, but also men who are uh, involved in abortion decisions and, and so forth, or parents or siblings. And uh, so we've uh, r- relaunched uh, something called Project Rachel Ministry in our diocese. And we've been publicizing that in all of the bulletins. Uh, a phone number that people can call. We have a couple of ladies who are uh, very experienced in the in the respect life movement and very compassionate women who would beautifully respond to any calls for help. Uh, very caring hearts, never not a judgmental spirit at all, but just what can how can we help you to heal? Um, and that number I'm going to give it right now. Uh, people can call 608-860 six six nine eight or there's a toll-free number 83-373-4400. and uh, if you don't reach one of these ladies live uh, there will be a, a voicemail inviting the caller to uh, to leave a number if she would like to or he would like to be called back and uh, we have a, a, a good number of Catholic therapists that are on board to help women in these situations. That, that could be referrals. We also have a number of priests who uh, have uh, have sort of, shall we say, signed on to be um, maybe first line of, of spiritual uh, uh, directors confessors etc for women who find or men who find themselves looking for healing and forgiveness so we have resources in place we've been working on this I'm very excited about where we are with Project Rachel Ministry and uh, you can see it also on our website you can you can see this information uh, the phone number etc at uh, diolc.org slash respect hyphen life and it's there at the top so you know I, yeah
0: yeah you, you are you are doing additional things uh for all the needs coming up i am wondering and i don't know what organizations would be involved in this nonprofit profit government who knows what on one hand you would love to somehow s- streamline or make it easier to adopt and on the other hand you don't want to make it something where there's no oversight whatsoever. Uh, do you have any information on that? It's, I know the adoption process is both expensive and, and time-consuming. Mm-hmm. There could be a greater need for adoption in coming years. I'm just wondering if uh, anybody has given any thought as to how to, to make that system better. I don't really know, I have no idea. Well, we
1: have, uh, we have the resident experts on adoption in uh, in the diocese through our Catholic charities. They are second to none uh, with regards to adoption and with uh, birth parent support, whether a a mother decides or mother and father decide to keep a child or whether they need to put the child up for adoption, whether they see that that's the best choice. Catholic Charities uh, is adoption services is there to be a support to them. I'm so proud of the work of Catholic Charities in this regard. So I would just refer people to Catholic Charities to learn more about the adoption process and just what you know what assistance might be out there. I can't speak to it with any great expertise, but they definitely can. I don't have the phone number handy for Catholic Charities, but uh, if you look up Catholic Charities of the Diocese of La Crosse and you call the main number, they can certainly refer you to. Their adoption services program, which is which is nationally recognized, it's it's fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah. I just uh, it seems like there's a waiting list, and uh, you, you want it to to be shorter, so that everybody who wants to adopt a child can have one. At the same time, like you say, you can't go about it uh, in a very cavalier fashion. So it's it's a tough one. It really is. And I'm sure the folks at Catholic Charities can probably fill in the blanks for me a little bit more. Absolutely. What else is on your plate these days?
1: Well, um, a couple other things I might mention. One is that we, uh, on the ministry's side, we talked a bit more, we talked really exclusively about the social concern side up to now. On the ministry side, we have our, our deacon formation program in which we, we form men for the diaconate for, not only for our diocese, but for the diocese of Madison and the diocese of Superior. So we're kind of a seminary for, for deacon formation. Um, and that's going extremely well. Uh, we have a new class that's gonna be starting in fall of 2023. Uh, We're in the process of, the, all the applications are in for the fall, and we're in the process of going through all the necessary screening that we always have to go through. But looking forward to that new class of, of, we call them aspirants, the first two years of the five years of formation is aspirancy, and we look forward to that new class beginning. Um, We also have our Lay Formation Institute, which is a two-year program. Of, uh, of deepening, of, of faith formation, of active laity throughout the diocese. Uh, these folks meet one weekend a month from Friday night to Saturday early evening, nine months of the year, September through May, for two years. And they have uh, classes in a whole variety of topics from Sacred Scripture to Vatican II to the the, 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 uh, the main pillars of the catechism and on and on. We've got a tremendous uh, core of teachers for that. And I find that people who go through the Lay Formation Institute become beautiful examples of, of light and uh, we call it salt and light and leaven, if you will, in their parishes. They, they bring back to their parishes, um, uh, they're on fire with their faith. And whether they're working with our CIA teams uh, for people who want to enter the church, whether they're uh, catechists uh, doing religious ed, uh, or whether they're just active moms and dads in a parish that just say, you know, I want to go deeper in my faith. I want to learn more than what I learned in school, uh, if, I learned, if I learned very much. Um, and the Lay Formation Institute provides that. And we're just—it's uh, one of the most enjoyable things on my plate. We are recruiting now for a new class. Um, people who might be interested and want to know more can go to uh, diolc.org/layformation with a hyphen between lay and formation. All the information is there on how you would enroll. Again, classes will be starting in September 23. It'll be another two-year program. Uh, we've been meeting at the Diocesan Center for the most part. We're still looking at options for the future. We, we've got an ongoing process that's working very well.
0: Yeah, the one thing that might surprise people, especially if they are not Catholic or maybe just tuning in, is that the Catholic Church, especially the Diocese of La Crosse, takes a great deal of effort Whatever position you are in, whether you're in the pews or whatever, you understand what's going on. RCIA, which is moving into a final phase as we get closer and closer to Lent, uh, really tells people what the church is all about. Lay formation, you want people who are informed with facts, not opinions. And deacons, they are so ingrained in all the parishes uh, at this point uh, being very very uh, necessary that you want them to fully understand um, what the catholic church is about this this is none of these three different programs are are casual kind of uh, fluffy things they're things that are are, uh, informative they can be fun many times but they're also you you walk away really knowing things when they're all done which is a a really good thing where you get to see that uh, you folks take extreme pride and uh, extreme care in, in educating these people with what the church is all about. And, and that, frankly, is a lot of work.
1: Well, and it's, it's uh, besides information to, uh, to deepen one's faith uh, in terms of understanding, there's also, there we have mass together, we have Liturgy of the Hours, there's this building of a community of faith that goes beyond uh, just what's being learned in the classes. And so it's really a kind of, a, if I could use the word uh, holistic, sometimes that's a goofy sounding word, but it's, it's a whole person experience. So it forms the mind, it forms the heart, it forms a community. So when you bring that back to the parish, you kind of, you're bringing back a sense of this is how it can be. This is how the faith can be lived together with other people, where we're excited and, and uh, where our hearts are really on fire with the faith. And then you wanna, you wanna foster that wherever you are in your family, in your parish. And this is the dividend that it pays then for, for pastors who send their folks through the Lay Formation Institute
0: yeah it's quite a bit. I, I, again, yeah, you know people are probably saying, How many different departments are there for this? Well, we're talking to one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're, you know it's keeping you busy. You have more stuff going on. What else have you what else are you doing now?
1: Well, a lot of what I do is is collaborative. Um, I've got some of the best colleagues you could possibly have. Um, so I've been working with uh, Ann Langford, Director of Catechesis and Evangelization, uh, Chris Carstens, uh, Director of the Office for Sacred Worship, uh, and others uh, to, uh, on something called the Eucharistic Revival. And that would probably, uh, you know, uh, that would probably require another whole hour to kind of talk about everything that's entailed in that. But basically, the US bishops had called for a three-year period um, uh, of Eucharistic revival, which started back on Corpus Christi back in June of 2022. And it's going to run all the way through uh, June of 2025. So that's a long stretch. And the idea is to um, reawaken, to deepen, uh, the, the lived experience of Catholics uh, in regards to Jesus and the Eucharist. And that the Eucharist really is at the heart of our life as Catholics. And sometimes we're numb to that. Sometimes just by force of habit, you know, going to Mass Sunday after Sunday, maybe during the week. And it, it can become a kind of routine and we, we forget the the extraordinary miracle that's taking place that jesus christ body blood soul and divinity is coming to us and wants to be united with us in the eucharist so this will be a three-year period it's marked in in various ways that we're in the diocesan year then there's going to be a a year of the parish and there's going to be a year of going out on mission Um, And all of that's going to unfold as as time passes. But what's happened recently in our diocese is we had, we called it a Eucharistic Revival Summit, uh, and this was on January 14th. And we, it was limited in how many people we could take just because of the capacity of the diocesan center. But we had a couple hundred uh, folks that were sent by their pastors Uh, we asked for a couple of people from each parish to come and and just to to have the opportunity to to have mass together at a period of adoration. We had Father uh, Justin Kazuski, who is uh, one of the nominated, one of the named uh, Eucharistic preachers. There are some around the country that have been named by the USCCB to be Eucharistic preachers, uh, Father Kazuski being one of those, one of our own diocesan priests. He gave a beautiful reflection during a time of adoration. And then we had these folks from the various parishes and organizations like the Knights of Columbus and the uh, Diocesan Council of Catholic Women and catechists and uh, some teachers, uh, some deacons. Um, you know, just a lot of different sort of categories of folks kind of gather in small groups and talk about what... In in the life of your group, of your mission, of what you do, without having necessarily to come up with a bunch of new programs, if you looked at what you what you are and what you do through the lens of the Eucharist, what difference would that make? How could you enliven the experience of your organization, of your parish, etc., uh, just by bringing a, a, a renewed focus on the Eucharist. So, what we didn't want to do uh, in this, and uh, in Anne Langford, and, and, and certainly Bishop Callahan, and uh, and, and Chris Carson, and myself, were all cognizant. Let's not create a bunch of new work that we people bring back to their pastor and say oh we got a bunch of new stuff for you father and it's like oh my more stuff from the diocese um let's just try to reinvigorate to re-enliven our who we are and what we do already and yeah maybe there's a new program here and there maybe there is maybe there's a new study component or something sure what I seem to be hearing uh,
0: it reminds me of some old television commercial for something that has been around for a while that they said experience it again for the first time
1: <laughs> that that's was, right that's a good way to put it that's a good way yeah, to put it, it. and we we have a website and it's still in development um it, that is to say we keep adding things to it and if you go to diolc.org slash eucharist you'll see what we've got there and we've got ways for people to, to get more education, ways for people, ways for leaders to see things like, how do you organize a Eucharistic procession if you want to do that? Uh, what's a parish, what could be a parish uh, manual for how, some things you might want to do at a parish? Uh, well, just different things like that for leaders. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have prayer and devotional uh, stuff on, on another tab. So if you go to DILC.org slash Eucharist, you can see what we've got there and know that there's going to be more, more coming.
0: Sure, sure. Just a few weeks ago with Pope Benedict's passing, uh, I was talking with Bishop Callahan on the air, and he talked about uh, read at least the first book of uh, Pope Benedict's book on Jesus Christ, and I got a copy of it. And boy, I'll tell you, it, uh, if you want to read something that is not terribly inaccessible, it's quite accessible, but it's really some deep thinking. Uh, That's also just a tremendous place to go look. When he breaks down the Our Father line by line, uh, you you experience it again for the first time. Absolutely,
1: now, Pope Benedict yeah. uh, the Sixteenth was was one of the brilliant minds in the history of the Church. I, I would go so far as to say that, and anything he's written, and certainly the books on Jesus of Nazareth are amazing, and beautiful yeah, to read. Really and but I, I guess I would just kind of conclude this part about the Eucharist revival to say that it's been an incredible blessing. To work collaboratively, and really, Anne Langford in many ways has taken the lead on this Eucharist revival effort. Uh, but uh, Chris, uh, Chris Carstens with Sacred Worship, you can imagine how important that is for this. Yeah. And I have have worked closely with her, and, and all of the diocesan in looking at how we can make this something special. Uh, with with the tremendous support of Bishop Callahan, who celebrated that. That mass um, on January 14th, and who is you know really enthused about about what this can mean mm. for the church and the diocese and around the country? This is a national revival, okay, a three-year revival. Mm. This isn't something coming from the Vatican. This is not international. So it's it's kind of a, a, an interesting thing that our U.S. bishops have said, with all of the skepticism about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. There are there are way too many Catholics who. Who just don't believe Jesus is in the mm-hmm. Eucharist—body, uh, blood, soul, and divinity—they just think it's a symbol. Um, we we need to r- get recentered, and uh, so this is a beautiful opportunity, and it will unfold. And there will be hearing people will be hearing a lot more as time goes on.
0: I'll be talking to more to Bishop about that too, when I catch up with him the next time that he's on. You know, you have some obligations that you have to leave in two or three minutes, uh, uh, which are actually quite uh, tied in with what we're talking about, but uh, any final comments before I let you go?
1: Uh, I would only say, Jack, uh, that uh, thank you for having me on. Um, it's just, uh, again, it's a great blessing to be a part of the, uh, God's work in this Diocese of La Crosse, whether that's in social concerns, social ministries, uh, just the people you meet, the people you get to work with, the colleagues you work with, the bishop we work, Uh, with and for as Curia Um, it's just um, uh, and you yourself Jack and the program it's just a great great blessing and I uh, you know and you know recently bringing on uh, Eric Archer who you've probably had on the show or you will who's working on on communications and and spreading our wings a little more on that it's just a great great blessing and I just uh, I thank God for it every day
0: Well, and also me being tangentially involved in these different things and hearing about them helps keep me positive and kind of sane in a world where you sometimes get very discouraged. And I would just suggest to listeners that the more you learn about all the things going on in the Diocese of La Crosse by going to the diocesan website, diolc.org, the more you'll see that there's so much goodness going on out there. You could start with Ukraine and just work your way out in any direction, <laughs> and you'll you'll see great things going on. So, Chris, gee whiz, uh, keep us informed as to what's going on. If, again, as usual, if something urgent is coming up, please contact me. We can we can get you or an announcement on the air right away, okay?
1: Thank you, Jack. It's a pleasure. We'll
0: see you again soon.
1: You take care Okay, now. you too. God bless.
0: That was my talk with Chris Ruff from the Diocese of La Crosse. We recorded this just a day or two before the big earthquake in Turkey, which is one reason, of course, why it wasn't mentioned. But I can guarantee you that as more and more clarity comes as to how we can help, I'm sure the Diocese of La Crosse will have more information on their website about aid to Turkey as well. This past week was the 80th anniversary commemorating the deaths of the four chaplains. And again, there were masses in Catholic churches, there were services in all different religions for these four clergy. In 1943, in a troop ship in the North Atlantic, there were four chaplains, Father John P. Washington, a Catholic priest, the Reverend George L. Fox, a Methodist minister, Rabbi Alexander D. Good, and Reverend Clark V. Poling, a Reformed Church in America minister. While in the middle of the frigid North Atlantic, a Nazi submarine torpedoed the unarmed and defenseless ship. It took only about 20 minutes for it to sink into the icy water. During these panicked moments, the chaplains calmly assisted and encouraged numerous civilians and soldiers, offering them their own life jackets as the terrified crowd sped towards lifeboats. When giving their life jackets, Rabbi Good did not call out for a Jew, Father Washington did not call out for a Catholic, nor did the reverends Fox and Poling call out for a Protestant. They simply gave their life jackets to the next person in line. The chaplains themselves all stayed behind as the ship capsized and sank again in just twenty minutes. They joined more than six hundred and seventy of their peers as they perished, reportedly with locked arms and hymns on their lips. Many of the two hundred and thirty survivors lauded the chaplain's selfless actions. At one point, Petty Officer John J. Mahoney remembered returning to his cabin to find his gloves. Rabbi Good stopped him, saying, never mind, I have two pairs, and handed him some. Maloney later realized the rabbi had given him his only pair of gloves. One eyewitness, John Ladd, said, as reported in Columbia Magazine, It was the finest thing I have ever seen or hoped to see this side of heaven. As was said at one Mass, they selflessly acted out of faith in God and a need to help others. They were true heroes, and it's important to look to them at a time when so many people are only thinking about themselves. That's the goal of this Mass and everything else we do at this parish. We want to keep the four chaplains at the forefront of people's minds, even 80 years later. Somewhere in Washington, D.C., at a history museum that I cannot recall, there is a life-sized diorama of the four chaplains. This is done with them full size, as if they were like a wax museum. And you rounded a corner in this museum, and there was a railing, and you looked over, and here was the edge of the ship with these four clergy on it looking to heaven. It was a remarkable thing to see, and I never thought that I would be talking about it on the radio all these years later. I must have only been an 18-year-old kid who just got assigned to Washington, D.C., and was touring the sites. But I'll never forget going around that corner and seeing that and just staring at it and looking at what was going on. If you want to know more, do a search online for The Four Chaplains. There's a ton of information out there. I've been making a lot of jokes these past few weeks about our relatively new electric range and oven conking out and being beyond economic repair. I've actually had it in the garage for several weeks and quite honestly I was amazed that I was able to take a simple Phillips head screwdriver and dismantle this thing to the point where piece by piece I could literally get all of it into the back of the trunk to take to the recycling center. But for a lot of people, the loss of a stove or maybe a washer or a dryer or a TV or even an electric crock pot can really be a hardship because they don't have the money to replace it. Just before Christmas, there were several families in the area where I live who were living in apartments above stores and there was a fire and they lost everything, not just a crock pot or a TV. Every single thing they owned was destroyed. This is why I repeatedly suggest that you go through your stuff And when you find excess things, and even appliances, or even cutlery, or who knows what, that you make a donation to the Saint Vincent de Paul store, the Salvation Army store, there are several church-run thrift stores. Maybe your own church has its own little closet full of stuff for people. So that when this does happen to other people, and they really cannot afford to go out and buy everything new, they can at least get you know a coffee maker and a toaster, and maybe some silverware, and maybe a couple of cups and saucers, and a few plates to eat on. The list goes on. Bottle warmers, mixing bowls, the the stuff that you use every single day that you don't even think about not having until it's gone. You know, a, a toaster oven or a microwave that has been put aside could mean a great deal to someone who desperately needs one. TVs, radios, I don't think CD players much anymore, but maybe might be things that are useful as well. So think about lightening your own load by going through your stuff and easing the burden for someone else in need. Ask around at your parish what is needed. I'll bet you you'll get some answers and maybe you can help someone. And thanks for making the effort. Jack Sosha here with you as we end up the show for this particular week with a bit more music. We have President's Day coming up on the 20th of this month. And I found some music that I thought was appropriate having just talked about the four chaplains. I'm going to play you a version of the Navy Hymn that was performed on President's Day 2013. I like this version because it includes the stanza about... The waters hearing Christ's voice and hushing their raging. Good stuff. We'll see you next week again here on Connecting the Diocese.